Welcome to Ranger Stories, a window onto America's national parks that ring New York Harbor. Pierre Minouy, whom we know better as Peter Minuit, gets the small settlement of New Amsterdam off to a good start. But after he's replaced, settlers suffer increasingly tyrannical and inept governance under his successors, until they finally say, enough, in part two of New Amsterdam to New York. I'm Steve Lace, Chief of Cultural Resources for the National Park Service Manhattan Sites, more usefully known as the Park Historian. Pierre Minhui was a pretty successful director for the West India Company. He built the population up from about 200 to 250 people, but still the West India Company had a problem attracting settlers. They didn't get much out of it. They were just company employees. So in 1629, they decided to try a new experiment and created the patroonship system. And the idea of the patroonship system was kind of futile, really, to give a vast tract of land to some wealthy person who didn't have to live there, but just had to own it. And that wealthy person would hire people to go and develop his land. The outstandingly successful example of that was Killian van Rensselaer, who was given, or bought, 7,000 acres in the vicinity of Albany. And van Rensselaer never left Holland himself, but he hired and equipped settlers to go and create a feudal manor called Rensselaerswick, and he was an enormously influential non-residential New Yorker because he really created that whole mid-Hudson economy. He saw to it that Pierre Minouy was replaced by his nephew as director general, a totally incompetent guy named Wouter Van Twiller, who accomplished only one thing, and that was, and that was important, he opened settlement of New Amsterdam to non-Dutch people. The idea originally had been everybody was Dutch because everybody worked for the West India Company. But in order to encourage additional settlement, Van Twiller allowed non-Dutch people, English, French, Spanish, to settle. And that was really a new direction. And of course, it really vitalized the development of the town in a way that began to lead it away from just being a company-owned trading post into a place with diverse interests and skills and a diverse uh, population. Ventriller's incompetence in many ways ultimately led him to be replaced by Willem Kieft in 1638. And Kieft came as close as anybody could at that point to destroying the colony through his extremely harsh policy toward the Native Americans. Kieft decided they should be taxed for what? For living in their own land, I suppose. And when he ran into some disagreement over his taxes, he decided to burn villages and really exterminate the local population. Well, needless to say, that rebounded very badly, and the Native Americans uh, began burning Dutch farms and uh, killing the Dutch settlers in the outlying settlements. So there was a series of uh, almost constant wars going on 
in New Amsterdam that had not been the case before from 1640 to 45 because of, of Kieft's policies. And believe me, that didn't escape the notice of the local residents that it was really due to their director's policy they were having all of this trouble. And so they began agitating and writing back to New Amsterdam, complaining about this guy. And he was eventually recalled in 1645. Before he left, a new director arrived named Peter Stuyvesant. Peter Stuyvesant was essentially sent over to restore order. He was the son of a Calvinist minister. He was deeply religious. But he had become a soldier, and he had distinguished himself fighting the Spanish and lost a leg due to a cannonball in the process. But he was highly regarded by the West India Company and eventually installed as the governor of Curaçao. So he was a natural to come up here and straighten things out in New Amsterdam. And Stuyvesant probably would have done better with the local people had it not been for Kieft. But they were already so disgusted with the kind of management that they were preparing what was called a remonstrance. And the leader of the agitators was Adrian Vanderdonk, who was a lawyer and went around and he took depositions from the colonists describing their objections to the way the colony had been governed. So here you have a classic confrontation between a martinet, rigid Calvinist, and also military man who had been sent to straighten these settlers out, to remind them that, after all, this colony was owned by the West India Company, and they were there to play by their rules. But at the same time, you had living in the colony people who had been there long before, who had seen how incompetent the management of the colony had been by the company, and who felt that they were far better able to do it themselves. And so, in order to open the door towards self-government, a remonstrance of New Netherland was written under the direction of Adrian Vanderdonk, and he documented everything. He had people's complaints written down, and they were signed and dated, preparing his brief, just like a good lawyer would. Of course, Stuyvesant thought this was treasonable, and eventually threw Vanderdonk into jail. But when the report got back to Amsterdam, they said, no, you can't do that. So he had to let him go. And eventually, Vanderdonk had enough material gathered together to present to the Stats General, to the Dutch government, complaining about the mismanagement of the colony by the West India Company. Another factor in all of this was the belief that the Dutch people had in Holland in self-government. It had become a tradition that had been established back when they declared their independence from Spain. They had been ruled by Spain up until 1579. And when they rebelled against Spain, they created a document called the Union of Utrecht, which asserted several fundamental principles one was the right of a citizen to replace a government which is unjust. Also, the right of a citizen to exercise freedom of religion and freedom of speech. These were basic principles as understood by the Dutch in Holland by the 1620s, and this was the way you were supposed to, to govern yourself. So what 
Vanderdonk was doing was not really revolutionary at all, but he was really appealing to principles that the Dutch people back in Holland were already accustomed to living by. And he was successful. The result was that a town charter was issued by the Stats General, the Dutch government, which replaced the monopolistic West India Company as the rulers of the colony. And creating a town with a charter meant that the citizens of the town had burger rights, just like they did in Holland. They could elect representatives to form local government, a board of aldermen, we would call them. So when the charter came back, it was Groundhog Day, it was February 2nd of 1653. I think the most momentous date in the early history of New York, if not of North America, because what it did was to create a, a local self-government which ruled in association with Peter Stuyvesant, the Dutch director, but symbolically, they removed the seat of government from the fort, Fort Amsterdam, to their own Stadthouse, State House, or City Hall, we would call it. For more Ranger stories and information on the National Parks of New York Harbor, visit nyharborparks.org.